the Titans. Following up with an incredible last season, bringing it again this year, some of the same combinations of superstars making it happen, and some fresh names coming up that we're hearing about. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz joining me in just a bit here on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, 104.5 The Zone there, where you heard the sound about that Titans team. And and uh, Spain and Fitz, by the way, on ESPN Radio, brought to you by My Computer Career, Training for a Better Life. Joining me now from that Titans team, tight end Anthony Ferkser. Anthony, thanks for the time. Of course. Thanks for having me. You're a Harvard boy, which I have to, you know, put all of my uh, leanings uh, up front here. I went to Cornell. So I feel like once we get past the competition in college, we all root for each other, right? The smarty pants. Then it, everything falls yeah. aside. And you root for all the other guys that you're playing against that also went to Ivy's. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, it's awesome seeing other Ivy league guys. I'm no, definitely have a little favoritism to the Harvard guys, but no, <laughs> I definitely respect seeing guys around the Ivy league in the NFL. The Ryan Fitzpatrick's of the world that we always we hear about it every time. I'm sure you hear about it every time you play as well. Let's talk about uh, what a weird and wild season that this has already been for your Titans team. Take me to those moments early on when the COVID stuff is hitting. And what are the concerns, worst case, in terms of how long you might be sidelined? And what were they telling you about the likelihood of, of when you'd get back on the field early on when those first tests came out? Yeah, it was um it was a roller coaster for sure. Um I mean we were kinda just going day by day and um Coach Rabel was filling us in um each morning, kinda telling us what what happening, whether there was positive tests or whether we had all negative tests and we were kinda just preparing each week. Um and then we heard we got postponed and we took our bye week, so kinda took a little bit of time to break and then we were ready for getting ready for Buffalo once we got back that next week and Still, we're getting positive tests, so had to keep postponing stuff. But in the coaches and all the players were always dialed in and kept, um, were always ready to play at whatever day the NFL decided to have the game on. And everyone did a great job of making sure they knew their job, knew their role, and came out on Tuesday night and, um, yeah, got us the win. Were you surprised? Because I think there were a lot of us kind of wondering what that long break is. Sometimes it can be great, especially in a contact sport like the NFL, to have some rest and come in feeling good. There's also a rhythm, obviously. Did you feel optimistic coming into that game, uh, especially against a great team like the Bills, that you would feel fresh and ready to go versus Rusty? Yeah, we knew we knew it was going to be um, a tough matchup for sure. And, um, I mean, yeah, after not having as much time in practice and practice time on the field, um but no, I trust all the guys out there and we knew it had to get done and everyone was preparing on their own, staying distant and in their playbooks and knowing what was at stake. And some, and we were able to take advantage of the rest as well to get our bodies back and be fresh when we hit the field. So yeah, I had faith that everyone was ready to go and we were going to get the W. Titans TN Anthony. Tight end Anthony Ferkser on Spain and uh, Fitz here. Sarah Spain. Fitz going to join me later in the show. He had eight catches, 113 yards, and a touchdown in the win over the Texans. You blocked to help lead the way for that game-winning touchdown from Derrick Henry. Uh, talk about that win, too, because I think people wondered quick turnaround and maybe you know settling in off of that big victory over the Bills, but you come out and get another big win. Yeah, it was a short week, and um, yeah, we knew it had to get done. We had to get our bodies back and get the next game plan in. And, um, yeah, it was a huge game for everyone. Everyone stepped up, offense, defense. 
Um, the line blocking for Derek, getting over 200 yards. Tannehill stepped up, had the composure, and spread the ball around, got everyone involved, and defense made some huge plays. And, yeah, we just it was a great victory. Unbelievable game. Derrick Henry is, is insane to watch. I wonder, I mean, football is full of giant big dudes that are, you know, that defy reality. But he particularly so. When you're just hanging out, does he do, like, weird tricks to show off his strength? Does he crush cans with his face? Uh, is, is he, like, uh, does he do human tricks for you? Yeah, I mean, just besides in the weight room, it just he's doing, <laughs> yeah, unnatural things, just lifting a ton of weight. So, I mean, that's always impressive to be around when you're in the weight room. <laughs> Other than that, you know, you just let him be. You don't make, you don't make him uh, show yeah, yeah. off for you. <laughs> he does enough on the field, I guess, of that. Uh, you guys are 5-0 and now, taking on the 5-0 and Steelers on Sunday. I have to admit, I did not expect what I saw from the Steelers against the Browns. They hadn't faced a ton of great teams before this past weekend. I didn't know what to expect. They put a beating on them. Does seeing something like that at all change the way you prep for a team? No, I mean, we're kind of focused on our preparation and not really looking too much outside. I mean, we're going to go over that film and their past games and know their tendencies and know their styles and um, – yeah, we'll be ready to go, and we'll be focused on what our game plan is and get dialed in this, this week and be ready to go on Sunday. Anthony Ferkser, Titans t- uh, tight end, joins us. Uh, Johnu Smith left with an ankle injury. You go in and you have a career day. Um, does that change your prep for this week now that you've proved yourself and maybe you feel like you might get a, a, a more looks from Tannehill and from your offense? Um, no, not necessarily. I mean, I'm always prepared to – play as many snaps as the team needs. And, um, yeah, it was unfortunate to see Jono get hurt. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in our tight end group, we're all ready to step up, and we know all the roles out there, and we prepare each week ready to take as many snaps as we need. So, yeah, I'm looking at this as any other week. So, It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, talking to Anthony Ferkser of the Titans. That Mike Vrabel play, he's done it twice. He puts too many men on the field on purpose, clock, clock stops without him wasting a timeout. It feels like the broadcasters oftentimes don't pick up on that. And then when, when others uh, ask him about it, he's very Bill Belichickian in his response. He sort of uh, doesn't want to give away any secrets. Do you guys know in the moment that he's doing something like that on purpose? I mean, obviously the person who's being sent out onto the field and drawing the penalty does, but are you guys on the sideline thinking, man, our, our, we got a smart guy over here. We got a genius coach. Yeah, no, we, yeah, we trust our coach in those situations and he does a great job of preparing all the players and, Every day we're going through different scenarios and games and whether the time's on the clock, timeouts and penalties. And um, he does a great job just being able to prepare the players for any situation and does a great job controlling and leading the team. He's a weird guy. Uh, he's talked about, you know, various body parts he would be willing to give away in order to win a Super Bowl. His draft night background was full of in like full body spandex outfits and uh tell us something about him that would shock us despite all we already know about him <laughs> oh man it's a hard one um yeah i feel you guys have seen it all that's what i'm trying to i mean he puts <laughs> it all out there he he's gonna yeah he's not hiding anything he's yeah always fired up on the field non-stop always getting in drills um yeah I'm sorry, i can't think of anything else off the top of my head i'm sorry yeah, he doesn't hide it, I guess. He he lets us all into the weirdness, so we can't be shocked anymore. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Guests join us on the show, Penzel Performance Line, including Titans tight end Anthony Ferkser. Before I let you go, let me ask about 
transitioning from last year to this year, this is a team that comes in with expectations, but a lot of questions about, you know, can Henry have the kind of season he had again? Is Tannehill this new quarterback that we're seeing, or will he regress to what we've seen sometimes in the past with the Dolphins and such? Uh, what has it felt like to start the season 5-0 and and to really build and not drop back at all after last year's success? Yeah, we're excited, and we have a lot of confidence um, going into this year. Um, same offense, similar defense, and um, just being able to build that trust and build that camaraderie as a team um, each week and making sure that we're, we're never satisfied, even no matter what the situation was, and just making sure that we're always improving and always wanting to get better each week. Yeah, and it's such a weird season, so uh, I'm sure get, having the focus of – Football every week and, and prepping for games is a nice distraction from everything else going on, especially when you get everyone with the with the negative tests and ready to go and, and take that distraction out of the mix. Uh, thanks for giving us a little bit of time and, and good luck against the Steelers. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Titans tight end Anthony Ferkser, proud Harvard graduate and part of a Titans team that I find very easy to root for. I, I think, um, especially after last year, there were a lot of questions about replicating some of the magic we saw, and it's been fun to watch them do so. Uh, that'll be a great one, Titan Steelers on Sunday. Pennzoil synthetic motor oils are made from natural gas. It gives you unbeatable engine protection. The proof is in the Pennzoil based on sequence 4A wear test using SAE 5W30. Coming up, we'll get you set for the World Series and what a title could do for Clayton Kershaw. It's next, ESPN Radio. Big dog versus underdog. Big payroll versus lowest in a World Series since 08. Two teams that I think people have very strong, well, one team that people have very strong feelings about, the other one that they like because they're not the Dodgers. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Fitz going to join me in just a little bit. He's doing his digital Monday Night Football stuff ahead of Game 2 of the Monday Night Football doubleheader. Joining me now to break down this World Series between the Dodgers and the Rays, ESPN MLB insider Tim Kirkshin. Tim, thanks for the time. Sure, Sarah. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I really enjoyed last night's game, and I find myself in my brain saying I would like for the Dodgers to win the World Series. Clayton Kershaw is a guy that I root for to have a redemptive storyline in the postseason, and as a Cubs fan, I was happy when everybody wanted my team to win after this long, disappointing stretch. Now, 1988 is no 1908, so I certainly don't feel as empathetic for the Dodgers as many felt for my Cubs, but for some reason, I find myself subconsciously rooting against them. Is that just the big payroll and the big names and the keep getting there, not finishing, Tim? What do you What do you think it is about this team that has many rooting against them despite being sympathetic figures? Well, they have a really high payroll, and that's why some people pull against them, which I find ridiculous. They're just taking advantage of what's out there for them. I think other people look at them and say they've made 13 trips to the postseason in between since their last championship. Now, the Braves have done a major league record of 16 trips to the postseason since they last won a championship. I think people – Tied a little bit with the Dodgers here just because they've been here so long and they haven't won yet or they haven't won in so long. But on the flip side, the Rays, <laughs> the Rays have never won. So there's a great deal of sympathy for them. You know, the third lowest p- payroll in the major league. So there's a lot to pull for here on both sides. Tim, talk about the Rays. This is a team that embraced advanced statistics, was one of the first to employ the shift, kind of proves that you can be a small market team, small payroll, and succeed. How have they done that? 
Well, they play the game better, Sarah, than any team plays the game. They may not have as many great players on their team as the Dodgers or a lot of other teams, but I see this all the time and I hear it all the time. Nobody plays the game better than the Rays do. They play great defense. They keep the double play in order. They don't run themselves out of innings. And even though they strike out a million times, they seem to find a way to get a hit when it really, really matters. And what they do better than anyone also is draft and develop players. They are so good at looking at somebody like Randy Rosarena and saying, we're going to get that guy because he's going to be a star someday when not everybody else saw that. So I think they just do things better than everyone else. And yet they still have a lot of talent because virtually everyone on their team throws 97 miles an hour. (laughs) They can be an overpowering pitching staff. It's Tim Kirkshen, ESPN MLB insider, with us here on Spain and Fitz. Game one of the World Series tomorrow night. Coverage on ESPN Radio starts at 7.30 Eastern. This was a weird season. It will conclude in a neutral site, which will be weird as well, with a limited number of fans. But what's not weird is maybe the teams in it. The Dodgers had 43 wins. The Rays had 40, the best two teams in the regular season in baseball this year. Um, Were you surprised? Would you have been surprised when this bubble season started or non-bubble season if I had told you it would be Dodgers and Rays at the end? Well, at the beginning of the year, I thought it was going to be the Dodgers and the Yankees, but the Yankees' injuries really hurt. But more important, the way the Rays played, they belong in the final two here because the two best teams made it. Um, And that's why this is such a compelling series, because you add up the winning percentages of both of these teams, and it's like the highest in baseball history, granted only a 60-game season. This is the best Dodger team that I've ever seen, and I've been covering for 40, I've ever covered, and I've covered for 41 years. And again, the Rays have been really good for three years, and it's time people started to pay attention to exactly how well they play the game. And what I like, Sarah, is I, I really love the defensive end of the game. We have too many walks, too many strikeouts, too many home runs, and not enough in between. But the way these two teams have played defense all year, and especially in the postseason, really promises to be a well-played World Series. And I think in the end, that's what I look forward to the most, is a well-played, defensive-played World Series. One of the biggest storylines, of course, Clayton Kershaw, set to start game one for L.A. What do you hear about his mental state, about how he deals in the offseason when seasons come to a close with disappointing postseason performances, and what has anyone figured out about why a guy who is a clear Hall of Famer in the regular season can't bring it in the postseason? Well, it's not that he doesn't have the stomach for this because he's a wildly competitive person who cares only about getting himself in peak shape and competing as hard as he can. So let's let's dismiss that. He's also been overused in previous postseasons, in my mind. Too many relief appearances. It's hmm. not something that he's particularly good at, even though he's been pretty good at it at times. This year is different. No relief appearances. A 60-game season, he should be much sh- uh, sharper. But the number one thing is now at his age, even though he's not old, at the first sign of trouble, you've got to get him out of there. Mm-hmm. That's what we do with every other pitcher in the major leagues. Charlie Morton the other night had 66 pitches. He was dominant. He was overpowering. They took him out. That's what they have to do with Kershaw. I was sitting next to Mark Teixeira the other day doing our, our show, and Kershaw started the sixth inning with three pitches all out of the strike zone. And Teixeira said he's done. That's it. You've got to get him out now. 
and they left him in for two more batters, and that proved to be the difference. So maybe that's what the Dodgers are learning. When push comes to shove, bring him out, take him out a hitter early rather than a hitter late. Tim, do you think Dave Roberts has learned that? Because, again, that seems to be something many people have come to the conclusion on before this, and he didn't in that game. Yeah, he learned if, if he didn't know before, he knows now that we're not going to take a risk with Clayton Kershaw or anybody else. And look what Dave Roberts did in the ninth inning last night. He had his closer, granted not the great, great Kenley Jansen up, but a, Kenley Jansen was really good the last two times out, and he left Julio Urias in the game which doesn't really follow the sabermetric pattern, but it was the right thing to do at the time. And the, the Dodgers made an adjustment. Dave Roberts said, this is the best guy for the job. I'm staying with him. And it worked. So I think all managers in this era, when it's so difficult to manage, have become much better at making adjustments because they have to, because that's what you should be doing, watching the game and then determining what do I do next. Tim Kirkshen, ESPN MLB Insider, with us here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Do you think a title, and regardless of how he pitches, or I guess presuming that he pitches pretty well, uh, changes the way people feel about Kershaw, or is it too hard to do once if there's a couple seasons worth of postseason drops? Yeah, well, I think you know how this works, Sarah. With this difficult media that we deal with in the world <laughs> today, you have to win a championship, otherwise... The, the, the narrative is going to continue. If he pitches well in the World Series and they win the World Series and he has his ring, we won't hear about this maybe ever again. All sorts of pitchers and all sorts of players in Major League history have had trouble in the postseason. The degree of difficulty of this game is so high that the littlest mistake can turn into something really bad. Great NBA basketball players don't have terrible you know, uh, NBA Finals. LeBron never averages eight points a game. They, mm-hmm. That's a that's an easier game to play when you can just add, tell your body take over here and be athletic. Baseball doesn't work that way. But to finish, yes, every, uh, that narrative will stop if Kershaw pitches well and the Dodgers win the World Series. Last question for you, Tim. A strange thing to have seven straight days of baseball in that series. So perhaps the Rays getting a bit of advantage ending on Saturday instead of Sunday. How big of a deal is rest, especially with pitchers for the Rays and and Dodgers? Well, I think it's important because the one day off now allows the Rays to line up their three really good starting pitchers on full rest. So they can go with Glasnow, Snell, and Morton in one, two, and three on full rest. And the Dodgers don't have theirs lined up quite like that. Now, the Dodgers have more depth in their starting rotation. The Dodgers have more pitching depth than anybody. But the Rays are really good, and they use their bullpen so much that an off day can really help. And two off days, potentially, in a seven-game series coming up, I think could help both teams keep everybody a little fresher because everyone's going to play in this postseason. No doubt. Tim, thanks for the insight. Hope you've been enjoying it and getting ready for yet another World Series to cover. Appreciate it. Okay, Sarah. Thank you. Tim Kirkchin with us. Spain and Fitz. Game one of the World Series tomorrow. ESPN Radio coverage at 7.30 Eastern. You guys have been chiming in, too. News on the Spain and Fitz Nation Twitter handle uh, is at Spain and Fitz if you want to chime in on who you're rooting for. And not the fake Ben B said anyone but the Dodgers for reasons. Also, the Rays took down the Astros for the good of humanity. I feel like they kind of earned it at this point. Uh, He hit us up on the Dr. 
Pepper Twitter feed to share his thoughts. You can do that. We'll be doing some more baseball thoughts a little bit later. Coming up, Cowboys begin life without Dak tonight. What should we expect to see from Dallas? We'll talk about it here on ESPN Radio next. Welcome back to Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Shell Pennzoil Performance Line. Sarah Spain with you. Fitz will join me in just a couple minutes. We're happy to be back. It's been a, it's been a while. We've been bumped a lot for baseball and basketball. Occasionally giving you some good digital-only content that you can only find if you subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Apple, iTunes, podcast app, ESPN app, wherever you find your podcasts. Subscribe to Spain and Fitz. We do pre-parties, after-parties, and we sometimes do podcasts on the night when our show gets bumped. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything. We have a lot of fun. We get to swear. We don't get to say the F word, though, which I still, I feel very restricted by this company, that there are no platforms on which I could say the F word. Uh, but I suppose I'll just have to show up at live appearances and drop an inordinate amount to make up for the loss. Uh, speaking of loss, Buffalo Bills, second straight week, take the L. They lose to the Chiefs 26-17. Mahomes did Mahomes-type things, crazy scrambles that are inexplicable and would never be seen from anybody else. Two touchdown cast, uh, catches from Travis Kelsey. Uh, Harrison Butker sort of redeemed himself for a missed PAT with a couple good field goals that helped pad that lead. And uh, just not a, not a great showing from Buffalo. Total yards, 206 for the Bills. And Josh Allen, what we've seen, these wild swings of uh, incredible arm and an ability to do things that we don't see from most other quarterbacks. And then really just some brain farts and some mistakes. Uh, still a young guy um, and, and obviously will continue to get better. Uh, this was not his best night. 14-27 for 122 yards, two touchdowns and a pick, including on that last drive there. Mahomes, 225, two touchdowns, 21 of 26 on the night. And Clyde Edwards-Alaire, thankfully, no no, no turnover at the end there. Looked like a fumble, but his knee was already down, so he doesn't get that on his record. He gets 161 yards on 26 carries, and they establish that they can beat you in the air and on the ground. Chiefs redeem themselves after a loss to the Raiders. And speaking oh, you don't of the say. Raiders, the, a loss to who? A loss to Sarah Spain. Oh, I timed oh. that just right to I make mean, sure you got to reminisce about that big Raiders victory. God, it Chiefs. still feels so good. <laughs> I, I will say, you know, we were watching the game, obviously, and I got to say, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, you know, it's funny because he came out of the gate so hot early in the season, and then people suddenly wanted to back off and say, well, maybe he's not adjusting as well, and they obviously acquire Le'Veon Bell. But this is a reminder, I think, of how great Clyde Edwards-Alaire can be. And, you know, going into with a couple minutes left, the, the Chiefs had almost 250 yards rushing as a team. I just this is a different identity to Kansas City. And when they can do this, I don't know how you beat them. I mean, when they can beat you in the air and on the ground the way they were today, uh, I think Buffalo's a better team and should be playing better than they have the last couple of games. But it's going to raise some real questions about how legit the Bills are. And at the same time, be a real statement for Kansas City that bounces back from a loss that I think they regret. I mean, I think there's so many weapons on Kansas City that whatever game plan they drop to beat a team and attack their specific weaknesses, there might be some guys that look like they've taken a step back when, in fact, the talent's still there. They just haven't needed them the same way. And tonight, it was a time when they wanted to reestablish Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And, you know, as a rookie, he's going to have a little bit of up-and-down moment. But we talked earlier on the show, or I suppose I talked to myself and everybody listening, about the possibility that he might be motivated a little bit by the acquisition of Bell uh, to get out there and prove, you know, we, we it's fine to add that guy, but I got this. I'm good. I got this. And, uh, you know, um, I, I wouldn't blame him for that, by the way, sir. Yeah. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, in, in, in the opportunities I had last year to see him and, and talk to him limited, 
he's a competitive dude, like as as everybody is at this level. And so, you know, it's got to be difficult when you have a huge opening week and then things may normalize a little bit. You're right, maybe a little less of the mm-hmm. game plan because, you know, we use the word multiple all the time with defenses without acknowledging that offenses now are becoming more and more multiple. So Kansas City is able to do these things. So, yeah, I think absolutely he was running with a – fire today and that's I mean in and of itself then Le'Veon's worth every dollar if it brings that version of Clyde under to lair out well and it's great for the Chiefs to establish in game one that they have this run weapon that everyone's going to have to respect but maybe not as great for the rookie to have that big first game and then slow down because your expectations after the first game is like oh this is easy oh okay professional (laughs) football I got this and then when you're not quite as dramatically effective in the in the following games you sort of get disappointed uh but the Chiefs get the win The Bills take a second straight loss. We will be looking at the Bills a little bit differently after this, not just because they lost to a great Chiefs team, but the performance itself was uh, left something to be desired. We will will, uh, be watching them going forward to see if they bounce back. Uh, It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And we want to talk a bit about COVID at the collegiate and NFL level. We've got an update on the Titans. ESPN's Adam Schefter reporting that the Titans will face just a fine as the NFL has ended their audit on their handling of COVID-19 Um, After reviewing their protocols and whether they followed them, they will get a fine, but they will not discipline individuals. No discussion of a forfeiture of draft picks or anything else. So that's good news for the Titans, who many believe were not malintended when they practice at a high school, just simply didn't quite understand the rules. Um, I don't know how smart it was to do that, regardless of whether you intended bad or not. I think you should probably know if you have a spread on your team, staying apart from each other is really the only answer. Uh, But they seem to have it under control now. Not only that, but two big wins back-to-back. And the focus turns to the Panthers, who now have a player who may have tested positive, and what feels fits like sort of it's going to be a passing around of the problem throughout the league for the remainder of the season. Well, and that's the hardest part is that, you know, it's become a normal part of culture at this point to watch on Sundays and to follow and see if somebody tells you that there are no positive tests that morning. But the number of times that we're seeing practice facilities shut down, and yeah, the Titans have gone 2-0 and through that, which is... Uh, really incredible, but I don't think the Patriots feel as good as their mm-hmm. uh, as the Titans do about the shutdown that they've had to endure. And I'll say this about the Titans: whether or not they understood that they should get together, they understood that they were trying to find a workaround. I believe that from enough people that I've talked to, I believe that the Titans understood that the league didn't want them necessarily to be in the same place, but they felt like they could get away with it because of a loophole in the way that they were instructed to do what they were doing. So for the league to find them, I, I the only question I ask, and this is the same question I ask every time the NFL finds a team, when a team's worth $2 billion plus billion, how much do you have to find them to really make a difference? Mm-hmm. And, and to me, whatever fine they give, unless it's in the era of, of you know tens of millions of dollars, is just a flippant tax write-off. Like, there's just a part for me where the Titans are like, cool, uh, what what will you pay for a win? Because I'll gladly pay millions of dollars for a win if that's a fine for getting guys together outside of the facility. So for me, it's a weak look for the NFL. I'm glad that the Titans are, are getting it under control. But if the, if the NFL was looking to make a statement about COVID-19, the statement that they've really made is you can buy your way around the rules. Right, right. You can buy or, or you know, if it's worth it to you to, to get together and make sure you're ready to go for that game, it'll be a slap on the wrist. And so you'd rather have that W and get that that practice in um it's going to be very tough i think it's going to continue to be tough as we hear about the the different um protocols that are having to be put into place the changes that they've already kind of put into place as they've watched uh the the schedule be interrupted and i'm also just not sure if it's how much you can trust how good teams are in terms of like what that will affect their whether that will affect the results 
I don't know for sure that the Patriots wouldn't have had the same outcomes if not for their delays, but it certainly didn't feel like they were ready for that game that took forever against the Broncos and with Cam being out, and then they lay an egg. Uh, it, it just, to me, it, it leaves you questioning throughout just how legitimate every single weekend's results are going to be. Well, and to that end, by the way, that's some straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contracts, no compromise. Sarah, you make a great point about how unpredictable this season is. I mean, uh, I, I was joking about it earlier with some buddies, but wasn't it just a few days ago that Tom Brady didn't know what down it was and all of a sudden mm-hmm. forgotten how to play football and Aaron Rodgers was about to be the second coming and put up the best year we've ever seen. And then one outcome and all of a sudden everybody's just loudly yelling the opposite take on both. And I, I think if there's any lesson that we need to learn right now is that this is already going to be an incredibly inconsistent year. When you stack COVID on top of that, I just don't even know how – like I, I'm glad I don't bet because my God, how do you decide what to put money on, not knowing what you're going to see from a team week in and week out because they may have had to prepare differently this week than ever before. I don't know if if I'm glad that you don't bet either because I'm not sure I'm buying. Somehow I'm 24 and five, and you're 21 eight and one. How do you only have three fewer? wins than me we have to look well, back no, at these no, and, picks. and well i was trying to figure out how you were 24 and 5 when we picked six games a week well because one game didn't happen so i picked the patriots but it didn't apply because that uh, game never happened okay i looked yeah. at you know how many times like uh, so we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll peek behind the curtain for everybody here we have like a doc where we keep all this stuff like a google doc that we're sharing right and the number of times today i redid the math and i'm like i, I was even <laughs> sitting there and i'm like six games a week like i went back and looked at the entire nfl schedule i'm like what is going wrong yeah, here yeah yeah, no, yeah, yeah. the game didn't happen yeah, so it was well. affecting my picks as well oh. which by the way 24 five still good still good hey quickly we talked about this before the show via text this this Nick Saban stuff there were many of us who tuned in on Saturday and thought how in the heck is Saban on the sidelines for a game when he's not out of whatever the accepted protocol COVID quarantine is for a positive test as it turned out he had the three negative tests and a changed rule very recently nine days before the game is the reason he was out there coaching yeah and I got to point this out to conspiracy theorists and I'll credit Ross Tellinger and sportsillustrator.com for a great breakdown of this but there was a women's soccer player for Texas A&M that failed a or had a positive COVID-19 test and she didn't trust it so she went to her own doctor took another test and it came back negative so she took a couple more tests and they all came back negative she as a result went to the the school and the SEC and said, hey, what happens in a false positive? So they reworked the entire rules because of a woman's soccer player, and they quietly took a, a vote on it about nine days ago or nine days before that where they changed the policy because of that. So for the as crazy as this sounds, it was actually women's soccer that got Nick Saban on the field, and it was already predetermined. So conspiracy theorists just have to sort of live with it. Yeah, I mean, it was weird, and I, I had to assume that there was – some reason for the decision and that it was allowed, but I was watching the game sort of uncomfortably, especially when he didn't have a mask on for his interviews. I was like, what are we doing here? Uh, even if you just took a bunch of negative tests, uh, there's something about the optics, I think, that's still kind of a, an issue there. Absolutely. But very interesting that the rule change would occur just in time for him, and uh, that's going to keep happening there. People are going to adjust, and, and it's kind of something we have to accept as we learn more about this. Coming up. Hot take or good take? We'll react to the weekend's NFL games. It's next. The NFL season rolls on. We try to figure out what we actually know about the teams. Maybe it takes even a little longer this year because of the lack of preseason, weird offseason, some teams coming into their own a little bit later in the process. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Be sure to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast on the ESPN app. 
Apple Podcasts, Apple iTunes, everywhere else. We're going to do a little good take, hot take. We like to do this on Mondays after a full weekend of NFL football and see what the pundits, quarterbacks, players, coaches are saying and whether we agree with their takes, whether we think it's a hot take and yet to be uh, fleshed out or whether it's a good take. And we're going to start with the Cleveland Browns. Fitz, who boy, I wasn't sure about the Steelers because their first four wins came against teams that weren't that great. I thought this was going to be a pretty good test for them. It was a beating. And Ryan Clark today, Mike Tannenbaum today, all saying that Baker Mayfield is the Browns' weak link. Dan Orlovsky, ESPN NFL analyst on Greeny with Mike Greenberg, getting into a little more detail on that. And it's the same thing or one of the same things that has held Baker Mayfield back for the first three years of his career is teams now know what he can't do. He cannot see coverage change from pre-snap to post-snap. And what they're doing is they're showing him something before the snap and they're changing it after the snap and they know where the ball is going to go. They dictate to him where the ball is going to go and it showed itself real quickly yesterday. And it was just a very poor performance. And it's not something that's going to get fixed by next Sunday. It's just not. And so in the present, you're concerned about it because how do you get it to play good enough to win in meaningful games? And then the long term, you're concerned because what happens if it's something that he never, ever, ever fixes? Never, ever, ever fits. So is Baker Mayfield the weak link? That is a good take. He good. Not a hot take. And I'll tell you why. I think there's a couple of things here. A, they run the ball incredibly well in Cleveland, so we know that's not a problem. But B, they also have an incredibly uh, high run block win rate. What's underrated is their pass block win rate, which for three of their five offensive linemen are in the top ten in their categories for their respective positions. Plus, he's got great weapons on the outside. Like, he's got everything a quarterback could ever want, and he just can't seem to get it done. At some point, you got to look at everything else and say, man, if everything else is succeeding positionally and the quarterback isn't, as much as I want Baker to be good, I just don't think he is. I agree with you. I think it's a good take. I do think we have to figure out how much that rib injury was a distraction to him, how much it took him out of his game. But a lot of what Orlovsky said has nothing to do with the physical. It has to do with the mental and the game knowledge. And we uh, we have a lot of people giving up on Baker Mayfield, and he has a lot of uphill climbing to do to prove that uh, he is the future of that team. Speaking of the future of a team, I remember just a couple weeks ago when the Bears had a couple surprising wins, and I had people in Mamenchi saying, enjoy it now, they won't win another game. Well, <laughs> they're 5-1. and one. They're technically ahead of the Packers in the NFC North. Here's what Nick Foles had to say about how their games have looked. Now, we're not going to get complacent and say, hey, man, we're 5-1, and one. this is it. No, like we're, we're sitting there in the locker room after the game talking through it. Hey, we got to be better here. This is what we got to do here. Communication here, route running here. Hey, we got to be able to run the ball here. We know that. I know you're all going to ask those questions. We know that. And that's what's exciting because we don't have to have y'all say, hey, you doing this. Hey, we know. But we also know that we're going to improve because we believe in one another. And that's what great teams do. Great teams find a way to win a game. Are the Bears a great team? Oh, oh well, <laughs> good. Can we go with like pretty good? Like, is that oh, no? Here's, right, well, the Bears a good team. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a hot. I think that's a good take. Uh, good. And I'll say this: 
I don't. I keep looking at the Bears, thinking, "Oh, they they can't be that good." Uh, there is something about the ability to win a game, and what by that I mean like the Titans and the Bears are both the same to me. It doesn't look pretty a lot, but they just find a way to win. And in twenty twenty, I think that that in and of itself makes you a good team. Having that sort of w- with the wherewithal to be able to to persevere through that, yeah. I mean, it, the result speaks for itself at this point. It's a good take. The Bears defense is great. Yeah, the Bears defense is killing in the red zone, killing on third downs, making opposing quarterbacks uncomfortable, rattling guys. Look at what they did to a Bucks team that then throttled Green Bay. Now, listen, the Bucks killed themselves against the Bears with penalties. They straightened a lot of that out by the time they got to Green Bay. But back-to-back weeks against that team, and it looked wildly different the way the Bears played them versus Green Bay. The offense needs to get better, and Nick Foles brought it up, right? David Montgomery and that run game just isn't any good, which leaves them making some questionable and and flat-out bad play calls that you would criticize even more if not for the fact that every time you say just run the ball and then they do, they can't run the ball. Uh, So they need to obviously work on that, and and there's, there's some of that offense that disappears. That game against the Colts was so ugly and so bad. But again, like you said, they win games. They figure out how to win games. And that makes them a 5-1 and one team that is at the very least good, if not great. Hey, good. It's Spain and Fitz. We're doing good take, hot take, reacting to the NFL weekend. We'll keep you updated, by the way, also on that now scoreless Cowboys-Cardinals game, the second half of the Monday Night Football doubleheader. Let's get to the Pats. Uh, they, they lost. It was ugly. And it left Bill Belichick uh, being very Belichickian. Uh, he was asked, first of all, how much did the limited practice affect their game against the Broncos? Yeah, I don't know. But you want a percentage? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> uh, but what was wrong with your quarterback, Cam? Yeah, we'll look at everything on the film. Phil, there's a lot going on out there. I couldn't analyze all of it, but we, we need to do everything better. I think I've said that three or four times, so I'll just say it again. We need to do everything better. Okay, is that a hot take or a good take? We need to do everything better. No, I think that's a good take. <laughs> you know, I think that the, the Patriots have a real offensive issue. And look, part of it's on their offensive line. And I know that when you get more practices, that will help that. But let's not, you know, we can't hold them to a different standard than the rest of the league. For whatever reason, the rest of the league has benefited from a lack of practices that we've usually seen. And offense is ahead of defense. This is the one team that doesn't seem to be matching that trend. So at some point, if I'm going to say to the rest of the league, hey, offense is ahead. I can't then excuse why that's not the case for the Patriots. I think they have some real issues on their ability to play together with the talent that they have, especially on the offensive line not playing well enough. Mike Tannenbaum, ESPN NFL front office insider, was on KJNZ this morning and talked about this team needs more talent on offense. I'm still a believer in the Patriots, but I think they need to add another receiver. Last year they went out, they gave up a second-round pick for Mohamed Sanu from the Falcons. That didn't work out, but this is a team that needs another receiver because right now what we're seeing is the safeties are keying on Cam Newton as both a runner and a throw, and they're saying, hey, if we're going to lose, and kill Harry, you're going to have to win one-on-one. And what we saw yesterday was when Julian Edelman got hurt, Julian Edelman was targeted six times. He only had two catches. They have nobody right now that's scaring an opposing defense. So of all the things we'll be talking about with the trade deadline, guys, look for the Patriots to add a receiver because I think if they do, they still have a chance to win the division. So I think that's a hot take. And it's very specific to the semantics. He said they need more talent on offense. They need to add a receiver. And I don't know if I agree with that. This team had one day of practice before this game this week. And you could tell that they had been apart for a while. I think that new look offense with Cam as a threat to run can still work like we saw it work earlier. They just haven't had time to practice. They haven't had time to get together. This is a new quarterback, a new offense, a whole bunch of new pieces, a bunch of players that opted out. 
I think they've got a chance, especially because the rest of their record is five of their last 11 games against teams with losing records, two of those against the Jets, which doesn't even count as an NFL team. So I, 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 don't, I don't think they need it. It would certainly help them. They could, every team could benefit from more offense. I don't know if that's necessary, though. I, I, by the way, quickly, Sarah, I think the hottest take was Tannenbaum saying they can compete in the division. I, I still think despite the last two games, the Bills are clearly the best team in the East. I'm just saying. Mm, tonight was a rough one. Yeah. Rough sauce. Uh, last one quickly. Uh, we heard from Kirk Cousins after an absolutely brutal game, the first half in particular, uh, a quick stat for you. Uh, Kirk Cousins, the first player with zero passing touchdowns and three picks in a half this year. Entering that game, the Falcons had allowed the highest total QBR in the NFL, 15 pass touchdowns to just two interceptions, and had not held an opponent scoreless in the first half. They led that game 20 to nothing at the half. Okay, It was a brutal outing, an anemic offense. Cousins looked terrible. The Vikings looked bad. And after the fact, he talked openly about how if he doesn't get better, he's going to get benched. or he, He's not going to be the guy. He's got tons of money still coming his way. He is very clearly the quarterback there fits. I think it showed good leadership to just straight up own it and not try to spin it. Yeah, I actually, I agree with you. That's not a hot take. I think coming out and at least owning it, like that at some point he's got to do that because they've got too much money for him to go anywhere else. There's too much money invested. He's got to own this and then get better at this. And, and so, yeah, I'm with you. Stepping up and admitting that is a big step. One more bonus that I want to throw at you. I heard this uh, on a radio show. Aaron Rodgers, uh, obviously one of the best ever. Yesterday, not great. 16 to 35, 160 yards, two interceptions. But more than that was this interesting stat that Aaron Rodgers has lost by 14-plus points in 19 games. So his losing record when he trails at any point in a football game. So Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, 65% of games where they're behind, they still win. Jimmy G, 62% of games when he's trailing at any point, he still comes back to win. Are you surprised to learn that if Aaron Rodgers goes down, his team goes down at any point in a game, he has a losing record? Yes. Like, I'm stunned by that, honestly. Yeah. So the question is, is Aaron Rodgers a front runner? (laughs) Can he only win when he's ahead? Oh, God, yeah, no, that's not a, now that you've given me that stat, definitely not a hot take. Come on, Aaron Rodgers overrated. Just cut that overrated. and play it no, um, I do, I do think he got the curse of the double pump. I loved that he went with Hingle McCringleberry, but right after the Hingle McCringleberry double pump is when he threw uh, double picks. So uh, curse of the double pump, it'll get you.